Good morning. Uh, welcome. My name is Matt Sprankle. Um, and uh, like Joel said, I'm the Sunday Service Director here at Church in the Valley. Um, I've been attending here at this church, a uh, member of this body, for since 2003. And uh, I'm actually going to continue the message series that we've been in uh, called Box Office Wisdom. What we've been doing is we've been looking at some of the popular films that have come out uh, in, uh, in America this summer and looking at the themes and the areas of life that the film is addressing, uh, the different parts of uh, just the aspirations that we have as people, the things we want to accomplish. The movies talk to those things. And so we're looking at what the films, uh, these popular films that have come out, what they say about what's really real in life and um, what the good life is and how we can get it. And we're comparing what, what films say to what the Bible has to say about the same issues because God really loves us. He wants us to have a good life and he's revealed to us the truth about life and how we can live a great life with his son, Jesus Christ, uh, through the Bible. And so we, we take a look at the films and we see what they say about topics and we compare it to what the scriptures say. It's kind of a fun approach. And so I'm, I'm going to be speaking about the film How to Train Your Dragon, part two. And uh, this was a great movie. I saw it uh, by myself uh, to do research, and then I took my kids, and they loved it. And it was, it was really great. Um, but the story of How to Train Your Dragon is this. Uh, there's this Viking world, and in this Viking world, the people are living in fear. They live in scarcity. Uh, they have a very hard and diminished life because everybody is living under the oppression of dragons. Dragons are terrorizing the human race. They come in and they steal your, your uh, sheep and your cows. They burn your village down. They kill your wife and kids. It's pretty awful. And so there, there are these men in each of the Viking tribes and villages that are being trained to be dragon killers. Uh, the story takes place in Burke, this little island, and it's led by Stoic the Vast, this big, thick Viking man, who is raising up a, an army of dragon killers to, to save his people against the dragons. Um, and so this world is at war. It's a war between dragons and a war between men. And into this world comes a savior, a Hiccup. He's the son of Stoic the Vast. He's the son of the king, and he doesn't want to kill dragons. In fact, he discovers through a series of events that dragons aren't all that bad. And that actually, if you love them and if you, um, if you train them, that you can live a life of unity with dragons, and things get way better. When humans and dragons live together in peace, things get awesome. And so... Hiccup is preaching this gospel, this good news of, of peace between dragons and men back at Burke, and nobody believes him. And his dad tells him, you have to, uh, you can't be friends with dragons. So uh, at the end of the first movie, uh, the only thing that convinces his father that, that mankind can live in love and unity with dragons is that Hiccup, his, his personal dragon, his name is Toothless. He's this big black dragon who can fly very fast and shoot fireballs out of his mouth. Toothless risks his life to save Hiccup. And Stoic the Vast sees this in the first movie, and he's convinced that dragons can be trusted. And so for the next five years, the people of Burke, they integrate their life with dragons. They live in love and unity with them, and things get awesome. The first line of the film is, this is Burke, and life in Burke is awesome. And the savior of Burke is Hiccup. And he's, he's, him and his dragon, they're flying all out into the frontier trying to discover um, the world around them. And the more people they meet and the more lands they discover, they're kind of bringing this good news that man doesn't have to live at war with dragons, but that they can live in love and unity with dragons. And if you come back to Burke, you can see and learn how to live this good life. But not everybody's convinced. And in the second movie, there's a bad guy. His name is Drago Bloodfist. And he's, he's angry. He's full of rage and malice. And he wants to rule over the world. By capturing and ruling dragons, he's going to use dragons in their power to rule over the human race. And so Hiccup tries to convince him 
that uh, he can come back to Burke and learn to live in peace and unity with dragons and Drago won't have it. And so Hiccup and his, his uh, army of dragon riders, they have to fight against this bad guy. And it's a great movie. It's a lot of fun. Uh, here, here's the trailer. Let's go ahead and watch and you can get a sense of what I'm talking about. We've really got to work on your solo gliding there, buddy. Toothless. You're pouting, big baby boo. We'll try this on. Oh, you feeling it yet? Yeah, yeah, you wouldn't hurt a one-legged. This is Burke. Life here is amazing. Dragons used to be a bit of a problem, but now they've all moved in. Did I tell you that you look amazing today? Because you do. And with Vikings on the backs of dragons, the world just got a whole lot bigger. Let me show you some of what you don't know. Can I know you? No. You were only a babe. But a mother never forgets. Unbelievable. You've been rescuing them. Something is coming. Something you've never faced before. The dragons are mine now. Protect our people. It's your destiny. What you're searching for? In here. Come on! This is very dangerous! Are you kidding me? doesn't wash out. Yeah. It was really good. I was glad I saw it twice. It's worth the money. Uh, we, we actually have a world at war as well. Uh, that's true. And we need a savior. That's true as well. And the human, human race, we want peace. We re- really want a place where mankind can live together in peace and love and unity. And... Um, these things are, are, are aspirations in our hearts. They're, they're, they're really real. And uh, God loves us, and so he has, he has explained to us our situation. And, and he really wants to save us. He really wants to put together for us a good life. And so what I'd like to do is I'd like to uh, talk about what the Bible has to say about some of the same things that the movie's talking about. We'll start with, with the war. We, we're at war. The human race is at war. Our war is not with dragons. We don't wake up in the morning and dragons come by and pick up our cars, which is good. Uh, but we are at war with God. Uh, God. God has actually explained to us our situation. And our situation is dire. If you read the Bible in Ephesians um, chapter 2 or Romans 1, I'm not going to read the passage to you just because of time. But if you look at uh, the way that God sees the situation, um, mankind is at war with him. Mankind has rejected him. Here, here's the story. God created man. 
And he created us to live in love and unity and in a relationship with him. He wanted us to worship and glorify him and enjoy him forever. He intended the human race to spread around the world and to, uh, to live together in love and to build up a civilization that glorifies and honors him. Uh, but we, we don't. And we don't because the first man and the first woman, they rejected God. They decided that they wanted to live independent of God. They, they kicked him off the, the throne of their hearts and uh, they refused to glorify God and give him thanks. And they went it alone. And as a result, sin entered the human race and has caused destruction and pain. And it has, has made us um, uh, not want God to be God. And so in our lives, since we don't worship the creator, we worship the creation. And since we don't love and glorify God, we actually love and glorify ourselves. And we're constantly pursuing our own passion, our own selfish desires, our own agenda. Uh, so in this passage in, in Ephesians 2, uh, 3, in Ephesians 2, it says that as for you, you were dead in your transgressions and sins in which you used to live. It says that all of us lived among them at one time, gratifying the cravings of our sinful nature and following its thoughts and desires. And so what we're doing is we're not living our life asking the question, Lord, how can I honor you? How can I glorify you? How can I walk with you? How can I please you? Well, what's the good that I can do today? How can I help other people? These are not the desires in our heart. But because of our sin, because of our rebellion, because we push God away, we're asking the question, how can I get what I want? How can I use my time and my money and my resources to bring pleasure to my life? Our whole life is oriented around our desires. And as a result, we, we have frustration. And this is my story in my life. Before I became a Christian, I was, I was living my life trying to get the maximum amount of pleasure and the maximum amount of praise and the maximum amount of power. Because with more power, I could get more praise and more pleasure. I was, I was uh, into uh, partying and having fun and chasing women and, and, and living the life that the world says is the good life. And you could see how much I worshipped myself and how much my life was about me and not about God by the things that I was willing to sacrifice. So I was a, I was a swimmer and a water polo player, and I, I had trained a long time in my youth, and I got a scholarship to go to college. And I began to sacrifice my athletics and my academics on the altar of my passions. To, to have more fun, I missed practice. I missed class. I didn't have time to study. And so those things I gave up so that I could continue to get more pleasure and to get more praise and to get that life that I wanted. And this caused problems for me. We're also at war with each other. Um, if you read James chapter, in James 4, um, there's a really clear uh, passage about what causes the fights and the quarrels among us. So it says, what causes fights and quarrels among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? The things that, 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 that cause us to fight with one another is that we want what we want when we want it. And we think we deserve it. And we, we don't want to yell at our kids. And we don't want to yell at our wife. And we don't want to get in problems at work. And we don't want to get in fights with our neighbors. But they're not giving it to us. Have you ever gotten into a fight with your wife or your husband or your girlfriend or your boyfriend for the 50th time? And you're fighting over the same things. You want them to do something. You want them to be something. You want them to stop. And they won't give it to you. And so that causes conflict. And so the conflict that goes on on our earth between mankind, that, that comes from the passions that rule within us. That's the same thing that puts us at war with God. And then we're at war with ourselves. Because uh, in our sober moments, we actually want to be better. We want to be good dads. We want to be good moms. And we want to be better. But we can't. Uh, we, we try to do good. We, we, we try to do the good we know we should do. But we don't have the power to pull it off. Uh, the Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 7 a really good picture of the thing that he wrestled with. And this, this is true for all of us. It says, the trouble is with me. For I am all too human. I'm a slave to sin. 
I don't understand myself for what I want to do, for I want to do what's right, but I don't do it. Instead, I do what I hate. You ever felt that way? You ever yell at your kids and say, man, why did I just say that? You ever, you ever get in a fight with somebody and think, think, why did I just say that to them? Why did I just blow up? You ever try to like quit, you know, addictions or, or, you know, you're trying to get a hold of your weight or try to get a hold of your finances. You're going to try to change. You make a new resolution and then three, six, nine months later, you're in the same spot. You're stuck. You just can't seem to, to do the good that you want to do. We have, we have sin in our heart and that makes it impossible for us to do the good things we want to do, to be who we want to be. And so like old clothing hanging in a closet, we, we kind of collect regret and we collect shame and frustration as we move through our lives and we don't quite live up to what we want to be. Uh, we, we, have, we have moral failure. When I, when I was a, uh, a kid, I was a swimmer, uh, I had this experience of muscle failure. I don't know if you've ever had muscle failure, but I was a swimmer and uh, when I was younger, I was in the Junior Olympics, and I was swimming for the 100 butterfly. I, I was, uh, the year before, I had gotten a silver medal, and this was my year to get the gold medal. And so I was in the final heat, and I was in the central lane, so I could see all the guys on the left and all the guys on the right. And this is my chance to get the gold. And so the starter said, take your mark, and I dove in, and the first lap, I'm swimming, and I'm ahead. And the second lap, I pull ahead even more. And the third lap, I pull ahead. I'm like a body and a half ahead of the rest of the heat. And I turn on that last wall to come home and I'm swimming back to, to the wall and I can see my friends and my family waving towels and all cheering. And then it happens. My arms just, they just die. And I can't, I can't move them. My arms will not respond. My muscles completely fail. And no matter how hard I try to move my arms, they won't move. And they caught me and they passed me and I touched dead last. This is muscle failure. We have something like it. It's moral failure. We want to be better. We want to do better. We want to be better parents. We want to be better spouses. We want to do better at our work. We want to do better with our life, better with our money, better with things. But we can't. We can't because of the same passion and the same pride that rules over us, that's put us at odds with God and put us at odds with each other, it makes it impossible for us to accomplish what we want to accomplish. So what's the solution? In How to Train Your Dragon, they have a savior. It's Hiccup. Hiccup comes in and tells people how to live in unity with, your, with dragons. Our Savior is not Hiccup, but the human race does have a Savior, and the Savior is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ stepped into history to save us from the sin that rules over us, to break that curse, to break those chains, and to set us free. Through his righteous life and through his substitutionary death, anyone, anyone can be restored to God. See, what Christ did was he died on the cross for my sin, for all of the... See, God is God. He rules the world, and I don't worship him. I don't wake up in the morning when I... Before I was a Christian, I, I woke up in the morning asking, what can, I want to do what I want to do. I mean, what else would I do? Who else am I going to live for? I pursued the things I wanted to pursue. And as a result of that, I live as a rebel. I'm an outlaw in God's universe. And the consequence for that, the, 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 the just penalty for that, is, is death. But I don't have to die that death. Christ died that death on the cross for me. He took my sin and he took my punishment and I got his righteousness and his life and his power and his spirit. And so when we call on the Lord, when we put our, our confidence in Jesus, when we put ourselves completely in his hands, when we ask him to save us, to come into our heart and to break the chains of sin and to bring us back to God, when, when we ask for that, we're given new life. So here's a passage in um, Titus that talks about that. Titus 3, 3 through 7. 
But when the goodness and loving kindness of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. Not because of works done by us in righteousness. We're not awesome. We don't deserve it. God doesn't look down and say, wow, those are great people. I'm going to save them. We've already looked and seen it at the sin that kind of racks our soul. But because of his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit. When I put my faith in Christ, when I cried out to him in 2001, his Holy Spirit came inside my heart and regenerated me. It says regeneration and renewal by the Holy Spirit. He actually gave me a new heart, new desires, new power. He broke the chains of sin so that I could overcome the things that dog my steps. That's the hope and faith that we have. That's, that's the hope and the salvation of the world. And as we just sang in the song Rejoice, when you cry to him, he hears your voice. When you call to the Lord, he hears you. And so in my life, when I put my faith in Christ, he, he actually ended the war between me and God. And now there's peace between God and man. And now I have a relationship with God. And now he walks with me and I walk with him and his power flows into my life. And now he's given me power to overcome the passions and the desires and the self-glorification that made my life hard before. When I first became a Christian, um, I got thrown out of college. They stripped me of my scholarship. They sent me home. And I was, uh, I was, you know, I was addicted to drugs and alcohol and to a lot of things. And I had tried to quit many times, uh, but I just didn't have the power to do it. That's the moral failure I was talking about. And when Christ came into my heart and, and, and gave me life through the Holy Spirit, I now had power. Power to overcome the things that I couldn't overcome before. I was able to overcome my addictions. And I was also afraid to tell the truth. I, I lived my life and I lied a lot. Oh, sorry about that. My earpiece came off. I lied a lot because I, I wanted to keep living my life how I was living it. And so I would hide it through lies. Lied to my coaches, lied to my bosses, lied to my friends and my family. And I was afraid to tell the truth because if they found out the truth, they might try to stop me or they might reject me or they might judge me. But when when Christ came into my life, he was with me. And, and I had peace and security that he was going to take care of me, that he wanted me to tell the truth. And I could tell the truth. And I started to be honest, I started telling people what was really going on. And that brought peace and relief and freedom. And I, I really wanted that. And he helped me have that. And that was the power of the Holy Spirit inside of me. And so he is the savior of the human race. He's the one who, who destroys the, the wall of separation between us and God. He ends the war between man and God and man and man and the war inside. And when he, when, he, when he saves us, he brings us into his church. Jesus is creating a new people, his church. He's actually creating a new race of mankind out of the old. He doesn't save us to make us individuals who just live our lives with him, just me and Jesus, Lone Ranger style. And I just kind of go it alone. But he actually brings us into the church, into his body. That's where we grow. That's where we get to serve. That's where we get around people who love the Lord like us. And we experience the life that the Lord has for us. When I, when I became a Christian, I got, like I said, I got sent home back to Coachella Valley where I'm from. And the first thing I did was I called up a friend of mine who I thought was a Christian. I'm like, hey, are you a Christian? You go to church? Where, where do you go to church? Because, I mean, I had no church background. I didn't know anybody. And I'm like, I, I want to go to church with you. And that night I found myself in a Bible study with a whole bunch of strangers I'd never met. But because these people love the Lord and because he had done good for them as he had done good for me, I had more in common with them than, than most of the other people in my life. And that night we, 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 we worshipped and we talked about what God had done. 
And I got plugged into that church. That was uh, Calvary Chapel, Palm Springs. And, and the Lord began to, to grow me. I got to learn more and more about him and how to walk with him. And good things started happening in my life because that's what the Lord wants for us. He wants us as Christians to plug in and be a member of a local body. That's where the good things happen. That's what he intends. So if you read Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11 through 16, we're going to look at this passage. This is a picture of, of church life, of body life, of what the Lord wants for us. And you can see in it a couple things. You can see the characteristics that the Lord Jesus wants our church to have, and then the good things that happen when we have those characteristics. So let's read the passage together. It says, He is the one, that is Jesus, He is the one who gave these gifts to the church. The apostles, the prophets, the evangelists. And pastors and teachers. Now their responsibility is to equip God's people to do his work. And to build up the church. That's the body of Christ. Until we come to such unity in our faith. And our knowledge of the son of God. That we will be mature and full grown in the Lord. Measuring up to the full stature of Christ. We instead we will hold to the truth in love. Becoming more and more. In every way, like Christ, who is the head of his body, the church under his direction, the whole body is fitted together perfectly. It's integrated perfectly as each part does its own special work. As each of us do our own special work and serve, it helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. Just like in Burke. You could live there in the movie and learn how to integrate your life with dragons and life would be awesome. Burke was the place you learned to live a life of love and unity with dragons and men. The Lord has called us out of the world if if we put our faith in Christ and he's called us into his church. And this is where we learn to serve. This is where we learn to walk and live like Christ. This is where together we testify to the world that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world. So here are some of the good things that happen when we... When we love and when we unite to the church, I actually spent some time. I went up to um, San Francisco a couple weeks ago um, to a hackathon where a lot of Christian programmers in that part of the world. This is like the startup capital of the world, technology capital of the world. And there's a lot of Christian programmers there who want to make apps and and software that's, that helps the Christian life. And so me and my partner, uh, Jeremy, um, I started a company called PrayBuzz, which is just an app that helps you pray. And so we go up to San Francisco to get with all these other Christian programmers and to see if we can't uh, keep developing our app and, and come up with something good. And so I'm up there for a couple of days, and there's about 240 people, and they're, they're all Christians, and they all live up in that area. And we're talking to them about our app, and we're talking to them about just, you know, the Christian life. And one of the things I discovered... Um, as I talked to, to many, many guys, was that they had a very low value for the local church. For whatever reason, they didn't see that as a key part of their, their life in Christ. And the thing is, is that if you read this passage, the church is where the Lord wants us to be. He, he wants us to take our place in a local body, to be a body part. And when we do, here are some of the good things that happen. First of all, it says that we are equipped to do good work for God. You see, the church is where the leaders are. The Lord has given gifts, and among the gifts the Lord has given, he's given leaders to equip God's people to do good work. Now, I recently had a friend who showed me something called geocaching. That's right. You. Right? And geocaching is uh, basically it's treasure hunting. So I get some sort of treasure, and I hide it in some uh, place that's public. 
And then I, I, I mark it, GPS mark it with my phone, and then I upload it to this geocaching website. And then anyone who has the app, the geocaching app, they can turn it on and they can look around where they are on the map and they can find all these hidden treasures. And so you're walking around your life just doing your thing, but these geocachers, they see all these treasures around them. In fact, he showed me one yesterday and it was just this little piece of metal up against this, uh, up against this electrical box and it looked like nothing. But when you pulled it off, inside was this little piece of paper where you could write your name and, you know, I was here, I found this. And then you could check in and say, I found this thing. And, and so there are like millions of these caches around the world. And uh, people who are into geocaching, they, they actually find them all over the place. You can hide your own. And so me, I, I had no idea these things were around. I didn't see these things as I, as I walked through my day. This is actually a pretty good metaphor for the good work that the Lord has for us. You see, the, the Bible says in Ephesians uh, chapter 2, verse 10, it says, we, that is the Christians, we are God's workmanship. That he created us in Christ Jesus to do good work, which he has prepared in advance for us to do. And so one way you can think about it is it's kind of like geocaching. We get up in the morning and we go through our day and the Lord has actually got good work for us to do. There's opportunities for us to help and to serve his body and the people around us. There's all sorts of opportunities to do good. Now, before, when I was dead in my transgressions and sins, when I worshiped myself, when I had no time for God, I didn't wake up in the morning and say, what, what good things can I do with the Lord, for the Lord and the people around me? I woke up and I was just after what I wanted. What else would I be after? I didn't, I didn't know the Lord. But now that I know him, I, when I get up in the morning, I have the opportunity to work with him in my day and to do good for others, to serve others. Now, where do I learn how to see those opportunities? Where do I learn to see them? Where do I learn how to actually do good and to serve? I learned that in the church. In the church, I'm equipped to do the work God has for me by the leaders of the church. So if I don't plug into a local church, if I'm not a part of the body, if I'm not loving and united in the body, then I don't get equipped. The second thing is when we, when we uh, work for love and unity in our local church, like Church in the Valley, we learn to live like Jesus. And this is the best life. Jesus Christ is the answer to the question, who has the very best life? The answer is Jesus does. And the question, how do I live the good life? Jesus is the answer to that question too. He will teach you how to live the very best version of your life that you can ever live. You can count on him and trust him to do that. And I've seen that in my life. And I learned to live like him and I learned to live with him in the church because it's here practically that I have examples. I have people all around me here at Church in the Valley in the last uh, tw- 11 years that I've, that I've been a, a member of this body. And there are examples of, of people who love the Lord and have walked with the Lord and have integrated different parts of their life into um, uh, w- with the Lord. They've learned how to handle, handle their finances with God and how to build wealth in a way that honors God and doesn't trap them with, with greed and love for money. I, I've, I've seen people who have learned to overcome addictions, anger, bitterness, the most recent thing that, that my wife and I have been learning to do, like the Lord Jesus here at Church in the Valley, is parent our kids. We have a, a son who's three and a son who's seven, Jake and Ben. And I really want these boys to grow up to be blessed. And the way they're going to be blessed is if they walk with the God who runs the universe. 
The God who loves them, the God who's there, the God who wants to provide and take care of them and walk with them now and on into eternity. That's the best life. How do I practically teach my kids to do that? Because I didn't grow up in a Christian home. I don't, I don't know how to do that. Where do I learn that? I, I can go get a book and just kind of try to trial and error through it. You know? Or I can do what the Lord's called me to do which is to be a part of a local body. And then as I love and as I serve and as I'm a part of this body, as I unite with this body, I am built up and grown up into maturity. I become more and more like Christ. And I begin to learn how to parent my kids the way he would parent my kids if he were me. And so very practically, the pastors and their wives and the leaders of our church have been offering seminars the last several weeks on how to train up your children to know and love the Lord so they'll be blessed. And they have been so practically helpful. And I've learned that in the church. I've learned that as I've been a part of this body. It's one of the good things that happens when you're a part of the body. One of the things that I've learned is you don't get your son to open up his heart and listen to your instruction by just kicking the door down, you know, and just saying, all right, sit down, man. I'm going to tell you something. You need to learn something. When you do that... He just closes the door and he locks it from the inside and just slowly backs up and kind of puckers up. Now, my instinct is to correct him, react, to tell him what to do. And that might be some of your instinct. That's not what God would do. That's not what God does. See, God, he actually gets us to unlock the door of our heart and he opens it. Uh, We open it through kindness. We see who we are. And we see that God loved us so much that he had actually died for us to bring us back. And that, that kindness and that love, that wins us. And we open our hearts. And that's how I'm supposed to win my son's heart. By my wife and I creating an atmosphere in our home of kindness, where my son knows that daddy loves him, daddy's for him, daddy knows that this is my life, And he loves me so much, he wants to help me live my life in a way that good things happen to me. He actually asks. He wants to know what I think. And I've learned that here. I've seen older men who have raised their sons to walk with the Lord. And I've watched them, listen to them, I copy them. One of the things I've heard an older man say is, well, I have some thoughts about that. I'd love to share with you if you're interested. That's much better than, hey, you know what you need to do? And I've tried that on my seven-year-old. And you know what my seven-year-old says? Yeah, what? I learned that from the examples in the local church. So uh, this happens as we plug in. Uh, If we are on the outside, if we never quite get close, if we only get so close, we don't don't really know anybody and we're not really known. And we don't really take our place as a body part, as a member of the body. If you look at this passage, and you you can read this on your own, the picture here is, it's a body, all working together, integrated, full, whole. And if I'm on the outside, orbiting far, and I never quite plug in, these good things, I I don't get them. This is where the Lord is going to grow us. The last thing is, is that... um, When we are characterized by love and unity, and by the way, that's the secret to the winning team. If you watch How to Train Your Dragon, Hiccup and Toothless, they they are accomplishing great things because of their love and their unity. And you see their love. Again and again in the movie, Hiccup sacrifices his life for the dragon, and the dragon sacrifices his life for Hiccup. 
and they live this, they're, they're actually like one thing because it turns out that the dragon's tail is busted and it can't fly unless Hiccup is riding it. And he's got an amputated leg. And so he can't really walk very fast, but he can fly fast. And so when he gets on that dragon, the two become one and they take off. This kind of unity and this kind of love is what the Lord wants us, our body, our local churches and the church around the world to be characterized by. And when it is characterized by those things, we actually show the world that Jesus Christ is the savior of the human race, that he really is the one who can save us and put life together. He can actually teach us the good life. And the reason why is because when you look at a local church and you see rich and poor and young and old and you see all different backgrounds, different ethnic groups coming together, different economic stations coming together. You've got you've got different political groups coming together. You even have Lakers and Celtics fans together in the same church. It's amazing when you see this and you look at this. It tells you this is something true. This is, this is real. What they're saying about Jesus, there's something here. Because there's no place else in the world like it. And the world wants this. In fact, in the movie, Hiccup, the hero, the savior, he actually says this money line. He says, the world wants peace. And in Burke, we have the answer. Let me show you. The world does want peace. And the Lord Jesus has the answer. And you can see it in the church. So we have to protect the unity at Church in the Valley. And we have to work for love. And we have to we have to do our part to build up the local body, because when we do, we reinforce the good news that we're sharing with our friends and with our family and with our communities. They see this is real. This is true. For example, I have a friend who recently he got sick and uh, him and his wife both got sick. They got triplets and they, the triplets got sick. And, you know, when everybody's sick, uh, it's going to be a really hard couple days. So anyway, several people here in this local church, they, they dropped what they were doing. They came and they served them. They helped them. And so my friend, he posted on Facebook, you know, thank you to the people who helped and served. I love my church. I love how people have come around us. And then down in the comments is this comment from one of our friends, April. She used to live here years ago, her and her husband. And many of us here at Church in the Valley, we, we loved them. They were our good friends and they didn't know the Lord and they weren't much interested in Jesus. But, but we loved them none the same. And we uh, we began to kind of bring them into our community. And one day they had to move from their their house in Chino to Corona. And normally when you move, you know how it goes. It takes forever. It's exhausting. You, you move for hours and it doesn't look like anything's happened. But our entire community group came and just moved them. And they just they were just blown away. Anyway, she posted on Facebook. She said, yeah, your church family is amazing. I'll never forget how you guys moved our entire house out to Corona. She was saying that I I have seen that this is really true. And the reason why we did it is because that's our culture. We love. We're integrated. And so as we do that, the church grows. The, 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 The Lord adds to the church. Over time, I want to read to you just a list of some of the ways the church has grown. It's not money. It's not political power that the the early church had. What they had was they had love. They had unity. They had the good news of Jesus Christ and the power of his spirit. And the church just expanded in 40 A.D. Thomas took the gospel to India for the first time. The people in India who had been at war with God, just like I have been war with God, they heard the good news of Jesus. By 60 A.D., the church had spread through most of the Mediterranean. By 80 AD, the church was in France for the first time. 
In 208 AD, Tertullian reported that Christians were further into Britain than the Roman legions had gotten. In 330 AD, the king of Ethiopia, that's like, that's deep South Africa. Well, it's Eastern Africa, but it's, it's not close to Jerusalem, okay? The king of Ethiopia committed his life to Christ and the whole empire, his whole kingdom, converted to Christ. In 432 A.D., St. Patrick went back to Ireland, back to the people who enslaved him as a child. He went back to them to tell them about Jesus. And when they saw this guy who they had enslaved and his love for them, Ireland and the people of Ireland began to come to Christ. In 1200 A.D., the Asian people in Mongolia and China. In 1514, Franciscan monks, monks are planting small missions all around California, reaching out to the Indian people here in Southern California In 1600, French missionaries are reaching around Lake Michigan. So you see around the world, the church is spreading, spreading, spreading. And our love and our unity gives us power and gives credibility to the message. In our own story, in 1979, Harold and Deborah Bullock founded Hope Church in Texas. Ten years later, Randy and Cindy Lanthrop founded, planted Church in the Valley here in Diamond Bar. And then in 2007, Josh and Erica De La Rosa, they went out and started the church in Orange Crest, Riverside. In 2011, we launched a campus of Church in the Valley, or I think 2012. We launched a, a, a campus in Alhambra to reach out to the people there. And as we love one another and as we continue to protect the unity of the body, we don't know what the Lord is going to do in 2015, in 2020, or in 2024, 10 years from now. But when we love and when we're united, when we protect it, when each of us, each of us who love the Lord, take our place in the body and we love and we serve, the Lord adds to our number and he expands his kingdom. So what can block it? What can block the unity? There are a couple of things. First of all, is just ignorance. You might be like me. You didn't grow up in a Christian home. I grew up nominally Catholic. You know, I went to mass and I, I, I did what my parents told me to do, but I didn't know Jesus. And I didn't, I didn't know that I was rebelling against God. I mean, I didn't know that, you know, God expected me to, to live a life of worship and love with him and that I was just, you know, I was a rebel. I, I discovered that as the pain in my life got worse and worse. And so if you're like me and you didn't know this, but now you've heard the good news, you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, you, you understand that, yeah, you're right, it does make sense. I was created by God, and he does have plans for me, and he, he would want me to walk with him and praise and worship him and glorify him, and I, I really don't, that's true. And I do see some of these painful things in my life that you're talking about. I do see how sin has caused trouble. Then I would, call, I would just say to you, then repent. Turn from your life of sin and rebellion to God and give it up and throw yourself on the Lord Jesus. Cry out to him. Ask him to save you. He has died for our sin. And so admit, Lord, I, I, want, I want you to come into my life. I want you to save me. I want your forgiveness. I want you to give me power through your Holy Spirit to be a new man, to be a better man. And then take your place in the local church. Uh, something else that can block our love and unity that we have to watch out for, we have to protect against, is Hurt. And I see this, there's kind of two kinds of hurt. The first hurt is, you know, if you've been a part of a local church or church in the valley for a while, maybe somebody said something or done something that's bothered you or hurt you. Maybe something didn't go the way you wanted to go. Maybe you didn't get what you wanted or maybe, maybe somebody offended you. And so that hurt has kind of caused you to step back. And that hurt threatens our unity. It threatens the integration of our body. If that's what you're feeling, I would just call you to go to the person and make it right. 
clear it up. That's a big priority here to the Lord and to us. And I have, I have gone to people and, and had reconciliation. People have come to me, and that is a wonderful thing. There's another kind of hurt. I have family members who uh, committed their life to Christ, but just never quite felt comfortable kind of plugging into a local body, a local church, because, well, they just thought, you know, these people aren't going to like me, or they don't understand me, or, you know, I have these sins in my past and I'm ashamed. And so they just kind of kept them at a distance. And they're afraid to get close, afraid to risk with people. And if that's what you're feeling, if that's something that you, you experience, then I would just say that the Lord can be trusted, that he's with you, and that he's going to take care of you, and that when you risk to know people and to be known, that's good things happen. God begins to bring healing and power, and you can trust him. So don't allow hurt to keep you from greater love and unity in the body. Something else is passions. Do we have the pictures of those characters? Um, show the, the picture of uh, Drago. This is Drago Bloodvist. He's a great example of passions. He's angry. He's been hurt by dragons. And boy, he is going to take those dragons down. All of us have passions and desires and old habits that we come from. And so maybe passion is, passions and, and old patterns are keeping you from really plugging in because you're afraid that people won't understand or they're going to judge you or that they're not going to be patient with you. But what I can say to you is that we're all sinners. We're all struggling. We're all slowly becoming more like the Lord. Don't let that keep you from greater unity and greater love. Or maybe there's a struggle, some sort of sin in your life that you're not sure you want to give up. I've been there. <laughs> I became a Christian and there were some things that the Lord helped me get over right away. And there's some things I had to work through. And there are some things I didn't want to give up. And when you feel that way, when you know that, it's tempting to kind of back up a little bit and kind of have this, this wall that people don't see through. And, and there's kind of the secret part of your life. And I would just say to you what someone said to me when I first committed my life to Christ. There's nothing that the Lord, there's nothing that I can give up. There's nothing that you can give up that the Lord Jesus cannot replace with something a hundred times better. He really can be trusted to give you much better. So passions can keep us from greater love and unity. Something else that can keep us from greater love and unity, the last one, is ambitions. This is Eret, son of Eret, and he's a stud. He's a young, handsome man. He's got an up-and-coming business, trapping dragons and selling them to the, the greatest lord in the whole land, Drago Bloodfist. He's got big plans, and Hiccup keeps telling him, no, you don't have to fight dragons. You don't have to steal dragons. You don't have to capture dragons. Come to Burke and learn this new life. And he, he doesn't have time for Burke because he's got big plans. Ambitions are not bad. It's good to be ambitious, as long as it's not selfish ambition. As long as our ambition is to do and to build and to do things for God and to please God. And so one of the things that may be keeping you from greater love and unity in the church is that you have, you have plans, you know? You can't quite get too close. You can't quite plug in because, well, you're waiting for a job opportunity or you're waiting for a relationship. Or maybe you want to buy a house and it's going to be further away so you just don't have time to plug in. Or there are other things in your life that you're working on that are really important to you and they just don't leave any time for the church. Again, ambitions are not bad. It's good to do good things. But what we have to do is say, Lord, here's what I really want. Here's what I'm really after. I trust you to take care of me. So I'm going to give these things to you. 
And I'm going to do the good that you call me to do now because I know you want me to be a part of the local church. I know you want me to be a part of the body. I know you want me to take my place. I see it in the scriptures. And so I give you my hopes and I give you my dreams and I give you my ambitions. Don't let ambition or passion or hurt or ignorance keep you from taking your place in the local body. Because here, with greater love and unity, good things happen. So here are some next steps. Uh, what, what are some ways that you can, if, if some of the things in this message have resonated with you and you think, yeah, that's true, so what do I do? One of the things you might do is decide for the first time to put your faith in Jesus Christ and to make him your Lord and Savior. And if you want to do that or you'd like more information, if you want help with that, we would love to be a help to you. And you can let us know on the connection card. Something else you can do is get to know someone at Church in the Valley. Maybe you've been coming around a lot and you, you come to the service and you peel out right after the service. Stick around. Talk to a couple people. I'm not trying to push you or coerce you or make you do something you don't want to do. But just reach out and get to know somebody new. Over the next couple weeks or months, go out to lunch with folks. Get to know one another more and more. This adds to the love and the unity, which is the secret to our team winning. And then finally, join a team. One of the fastest ways that you can get plugged into this church is by joining a team. Or in the fall, consider joining a small group. That's another place that you can get plugged in. All right, would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for, for your word. Father, thank you for sending your son Jesus to rescue us and to bring us back to you. Thank you that he breaks the chains of sin in our hearts so that we can live a good life that you want for us. Thank you that you have given us the church. Thank you for Church in the Valley and, and how you've knit us together in love and unity. Thank you for our leaders and thank you for the way that you're growing us and making us more and more like your son Jesus. And we pray, Lord, that if there's anything that's keeping us from greater love and greater unity, that you would speak to us and you give us faith to trust you as we push past those things. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.